Thank you, Ed and Choir. Take your Bibles, please, and stay there in the third chapter of Matthew. We're going to refer back to that several times uh, this morning. You know, this has been a, a remarkable uh, series for me. I think I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it came out of a devotional time. Uh, Valeria and I were taking a couple days away to where we could really concentrate on just being quiet and being before the Lord. And she was on one end of the house and I was on the other. And we both got very much caught up in our just being in the Word and hearing what the Scriptures were telling us. And as we came back together, she was asking, uh, you know, what, what, what did the Lord tell you what went on in that period of time? And I began to share how I'd been reading about this sermon of John the Baptist and how it had just so impacted me. And as we've been looking at it, we've been delving into who is this wonderful and mysterious man, uh, John the Baptist, uh, strange in his appearance, strange in his appearing, strange in his message. He was speaking the authority and with the background uh, of Elijah, the great, the great prophet of old. And yet, it was something fresh. See, God had not spoken to his people Israel for 400 years. There have been 400 years of silence and anyone spoke on, stepped on the scene and said, Thus saith the Lord, which was the words of the prophet. And John came in the wilderness uh, dressed in camel hair and, and with a wide leather belt and just eating wild honey and, and, and locusts. And, and he was preaching an incredible message, the message of the prophets, message of repentance. And so we've been looking kind of sentence by sentence of what he said, and as it's recorded here in Luke chapter, I mean, excuse me, Matthew chapter 3, but it's also in Luke chapter 3. And so when they, he first started his message, he was looking out into the crowd. And he saw a group of the religious leaders. And they were coming to him for baptism. And he was literally appalled at that. They had no business being there because he knew their heart. He knew that they were not repentant. He knew that they were there for ulterior reasons. And so that's why he said to them, Brood of vipers, sons of snakes, spawn of Satan, who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? And we took that apart and dealt with it, and God was so, so blessed in the process of that. And then he goes on to say, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And so we looked at what it really meant to repent, and whether or not we'd ever genuinely repented in our hearts and in our lives, and what the fruit of that would look like. And now he speaks to those same ones, those religious leaders of the day, as he says these words. And do not think to say, do not suppose or do not propose to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we never dare to move into God's holy word without coming to you and asking for your anointing and your blessing and your direction and your leadership. And so again today, we ask you to just open your heart to ours as we open our heart to you. Speak to us as only you can. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the finest things 
that you can do is to bring up your children in the church of Jesus Christ. To bring up your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren under the teaching and hearing and worship and praying of the Lord God. And that is one of the greatest blessings that you can bestow upon your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. One of the most phenomenal things you can do. And I encourage it. I strongly, strongly encourage it. But hear me, that in and of itself is no guarantee that they're going to follow in the ways of the Lord. Understand that. Hold on to that. It's the right thing to do. You see, bringing your children or grandchildren up in the church gives them a great advantage. But listen, if you don't take advantage of the advantage, it becomes a curse. If you don't take advantage of the advantage, it can become a curse. And that's what we're looking at this morning. As John was looking out over that crowd and he saw all these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, one thing he knew about each and every one of them, they had great pride. Great pride in Abraham. In Abraham. And as they had that great pride in Abraham, there are at least three reasons why they had this incredible great pride in Abraham. First of all, they looked to Abraham as the father of their nation. As we read in Genesis chapter 12 and, and such, we find that, that God had come to Abraham and he said, I, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your seed and I'm going to make a great nation of people out of you. And through that great nation, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Well, what a tremendous advantage. And he became the father of the nation of Israel. That was tremendous. But, but here's what John is saying. Do not suppose, do not think for a minute that because you are of the Jewish nation that you're going to be saved. Don't put any confidence in that. It's a great advantage. But if you don't take advantage of that advantage, it can become a curse. And then, here's the second thing. Abraham was not only the father of that nation, he was the father of that faith. He was the father of that religion. The entire Jewish way of life started here. Now, much was added to it as it grew over the years. But Abraham was where it started. They, they traced it back to Abraham. And so they were very proud of their Jewishness. As a matter of fact, there were only two categories of people in the mind of the Jews. Jews and those who weren't but wish they were. And so they were proud of their religion. And their religious faith gave them a great advantage. They had the commandments. They had all of the great historical leaders of their faith. They had all of the experience of all of the years of going through the wilderness and how God had seen them through all of the invasions of all of the people, all of these different things. They had great advantage because they were of the Jewish faith. But if you don't take advantage of that advantage, it can become a curse. And it had become a curse for them because they were tr trusting in their Jewishness and John is saying, do not do that. Do
Do not think for a moment just because you're Jewish that you're going to make it into heaven. And the third thing about Abraham, he was the father of the nation, father of the faith. But many of these people could actually trace their own genealogy all the way back to Abraham. He was actually, physically, literally their father. And because he was such a great man and he was so very, very revered, somehow it was in that DNA that had been just passed down from generation to generation. And they had great advantage because Abraham was literally their great, great, whatever, grandfather. But you know the scripture tells us that it was Abraham's faith that saved him. And not the fact that he was a Jew or that he was an Israelite, but that he exercised his own faith. And John is saying, don't trust your family heritage to save you. Do not think that because Abraham is your literal father, take advantage while you can. So that, that's what he's saying. So I want to unpack that just for a few moments. Because it has some really powerful ramifications of who we are and where we live in America today. First of all, he, he said this, your nationality cannot save you. Your nationality cannot save you. We, uh, there were undoubtedly in the crowd that day those who thought that they were safe just because they were of the nation of Israel. I mean, they were citizens of God's country. But John warned them. He warned them, your nationality can't save you. Can I pause just for a moment? And I won't stay here very long. In America today, and for the last, well, several years, there have been a very loud and vocal element that have equated our Christian faith with our national nationalism. I, I call it Christian nationalism. I don't know what else it's called. But somehow they think that, that their faith and the fact that they're an American, these go together. And that somehow there is a, a Christianness about being an American. Folks, please hear me. There is no such thing as a Christian nation. There may be nations that have a lot of Christians, but there are no such thing as a Christian nation. And the reason for this is your faith in Christ is not the same as your nationality. You are not a Christian because of where you're born, but whether or not you're born again. Valeria and I remember very, very, very well when we were teenagers and we were part of our, our church's youth outreach team and we'd go to door to door. You could do it during those days, knocking on doors and, and sharing tracks or talking to folks about the Lord. And we were together one day and I, I knocked on the door and this, this lady came to the door and I said, ma'am, I want to talk to you a minute. Are you a Christian? And she was indignant. And she said, why, young man, I have you know I was born right here in Macon, Georgia. Of course I'm a Christian. Now that's in my limited experience as an individual. But, but, but let me put it right here in our day. There, there, there are folks right here in Union County, Georgia, who would say, I tell you what, my daddy 
was a Southern Baptist deacon right here in Union County. Of course I'm saved. And John's message would thunder. Do not think that because you're an American that you're going to be saved. Unless you personally, individually put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can be lost and damned from America. That is the reality. In Joshua it says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. It is an individual choice. It is not a nationalistic advantage. Now let me say a moment. We have a great advantage here in the United States. Here we have religious freedom. Here in the South especially, there's churches on almost every corner. The airways and the TVs are filled with Christian messages. Well, more or less. There's an advantage that, that, that people in North Korea don't have. There's an advantage that people all over the world don't have because here you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can worship in freedom, at least for now. But hear me, those who don't take advantage of that advantage, it will become a curse. You can have a cultural faith that cannot save you. You can be saved in America if you repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Savior, or you can be lost in America because you don't. You can be saved in Saudi Arabia because you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you can be lost because you refuse to. You can be saved in Israel if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you can be lost and damned in Israel because you don't. Your nationality does not determine it. Does not determine it. Jesus himself is the one who said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. He didn't say, no man comes to the Father unless they're Israeli. He didn't say, no one comes to the Father unless they're an American. No man will come to the Father except by me. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ said. Paul would later say in, in Romans chapter 3, there is no distinction, let me say that again, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no distinction of being Jewish, a Jewish nation. There's no distinction of being an American. You can die and go to hell as quickly here in the United States as you can in any other place on earth if you do not make Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. Your national background won't save you. Then, then John went on to say, your religious background won't save you. Your religious background won't save you. Now those who came up, they would have said, well, John's message is a good message here for all these heathens, all these pagans, that worship at all these Greek and Roman temples, but us, we worship in the temple of Jerusalem. 
We have the Ten Commandments. We have the prophets. We have the only true religion. And we're saved because we're of the Jewish faith. And John knew that. And John said, do not think for a moment that your denomination has the power to save you. It is a great advantage. It is a great advantage. But if you don't take advantage of that advantage, it'll become a curse. Do not suppose that because you're of the Jewish faith, he's saying, that, that God is about to save you. In Philippians 3, as, as Paul is writing about himself, he's talking about his Jewishness, about how faithful he was to his Jewish religion. He said, I, I am circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. And then he went on to say, he said, you know what? All of that is a loss to me. Because that couldn't save me. Being an elite among all Jews could not save him. It was not the pedigree. It was not the pedigree. In the same way today, listen, being a Southern Baptist cannot save you. I, I tell you what, I, in every new member's class, Derek and I love to do this, in every new member's class, we get to go over our doctrinal statement. It's known as the Baptist Faith and Message. Most of you in here have been through that. And it talks about our doctrines. And I love our doctrines. I love those things we believe. I am proud to be a Southern Baptist. I wasn't born again in a Southern Baptist church, but I got here just as quick as I could, all right? I am proud to be a Southern Baptist. I'm proud that through the cooperative program, we get to support missionaries all the way around the world. Of the ten largest seminaries on planet Earth, six of them are our Southern Baptist seminaries. I don't shy away from being proud to be a Southern Baptist. I don't shy away of being proud that our church is Southern Baptist. We, we are, are not a non-denominational church. We are not a community church. We're not an independent church. We're a Southern Baptist church. And I'm proud of that fact. But listen. You can join a Southern Baptist church, be baptized in a Southern Baptist baptistry, be a member of that church all your life, and still die and go to hell if you have not made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior. If you have not repented of your sins and accepted Christ's death and resurrection to save your soul, you're going to be just as lost. Just as lost as anybody else on planet Earth. Southern Baptist means nothing as it relates to salvation unless you personally repent of your sins and become a believer in Christ. And John is saying to this crowd, your national background is not going to save you. Your religious background is not going to save you or condemn you. But it's certainly not going to save you. 
And finally, he says, your family heritage will not save you. They weren't just pretending when they said many of them can count Abraham as their in their actual lineage. Paul had his genealogy all worked out. We've already looked at that. Rabbi Hillel, who who, uh, lived and died just a little before Christ appeared on the scene, could meticulously trace his genealogy and recite it for you all the way back to King David. Many, many in Jesus' day, they were ate up with genealogies. They they, they just really were. I mean, I think they were the ones that founded Ancestor.com. I really do. They were ate up with their genealogies. And they were probably absolutely correct in tracing their lineage all the way back to Abraham. But John the Baptist thundered and said, do not think for a moment that having the DNA of Abraham is going to be able to save you. It cannot, it will not. Their family genealogy can't, and it can't save us today either. Your family background and your heritage in church, no matter what it is, means nothing unless you personally and actually have received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Again, let me say, being brought up in a Christian home, having a godly mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, because we've got a lot of grandparents raising their grandchildren, coming to church, being a part of the church. This is a tremendous advantage. It's a huge advantage. But just growing up Southern Baptist, just growing up in a, in a godly home, doesn't make you a believer, folks. There's nothing automatic about it. There are no family plans when it comes to getting into heaven. It's an individual experience. I, I think about my grandchildren. We've got several of them uh, with us here this weekend, those that live closest. Uh, I think about their daddies. All of them committed their life to Christ and all of them in ministry. Three tremendous daughter-in-laws who love their husbands, love the Lord, and, and support those ministries. And they've given us eight living grandchildren, more than that in heaven. And those grandchildren have an advantage. Their mamas and daddies are devoted to Christ. Grandma and grandpa are devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. They have an advantage. But if they don't take advantage of that advantage, that heritage will become a curse. I'm thankful that all but one of them have already made Jesus Christ their personal Lord and Savior. The one lone holdout, she's four years old. She'll come along a little later, all right? Not worried about her just yet, okay? Hear me. You can be raised in the godliest home there's ever been by the holiest mama and the most dedicated daddy there's ever been. But if you personally have not repented of your sins and made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you're as damned as a person who never entered church. John would say, do not think for a moment 
that because your daddy was a deacon in a church here in Blairsville, Georgia, that you have entrance to heaven, that your mama was head of the WOM, that you have a ticket into heaven. Do not do that. Your family heritage cannot save you. Being a pastor's kid won't save you. Being a, a, a grandchild of a deacon is not going to save you. Being a lodge sure as the world ain't going to save you. Being a Hartley or a Laurie or a Haywood or a Neal or a Van Pelt or a Goodman or a Braswell ain't going to save you. That's why we need to never take our kids' salvation for granted. We need to weep over them. We need to earnestly pray over them. We need to expose them to every opportunity for them to hear and learn the gospel of Jesus Christ. And more importantly, we need to live a godly example before them to where they have no reason to look at us and think that it's anything but the best decision they could ever make. John is saying, don't trust in the wrong thing. You can be lost with a wonderful family heritage. Right here today, those in our sanctuary, as well as those at home, can I just draw this together and make this one clear application? The only way you can have any hope and assurance of eternal life is if you have repented of your sins, beg Jesus Christ to accept you. Dare to believe that His death and resurrection was to take the full punishment of your sins and enable you to be saved. And ask Him personally to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. If you have not done that, you're trusting in something to save you that is just not going to hold water, folks. I invite you this morning to make Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. You bow your heads, let's pray together. Father God, I just don't know any other way to say it. God forbid that we would trust in our family heritage, our denomination, or our nationality to save our eternal soul. God, I pray that we'll take advantage that we have in our nation. That we'll take advantage of the faith set before us. That we'll take advantage of our family heritage. But God by themselves, all they can do is set the way, set the arena, set the, set the agenda, set the atmosphere where we might be saved. Lord, my heart is heavy this morning for those who trust in anything else. And Holy Spirit, I beg you in Jesus' name to move in our hearts today right here in our sanctuary, and also at home. That Lord, if we're trusting in anything other than a personal, current relationship with you, 
that Holy Spirit, you would break our hearts and remake us. That we might repent and come to know Christ. Choose Him as our Lord and Savior. As we have this time of invitation, Lord, let that be so. I pray as Ed comes and leads us in this song. That those here in the sanctuary will find the freedom to come to the altar and pray. Or speak to Matthew or Eric. And, and just say, I need to know for sure about my salvation. I'm afraid I've been trusting in the wrong things. Lord, let it be so. Others may want to come to the altar and pray for family members. Or, or others that they feel like that they're in danger of trusting the wrong things. Holy Spirit, this is your time. Move in our hearts ever how you want to. And at home, if Holy Spirit is touching your heart right now, and you know at this very moment, He's speaking truth into the lies that you've believed all these years. Will you allow Him to break your heart? Bring you to the truth. And even now, pray along with me and say, Oh God, I've been trusting the wrong things. But right now I dare to believe that Jesus died to take my sins upon Himself and He rose again so that I could have His eternal life. I confess my sins to You and I want to turn away from them. I want You to be the Lord, the boss, the King of my heart. And Father, I know You won't refuse that prayer. Holy Spirit, take control. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand?